in the world. Uh, this morning, uh, I was just kind of checked my news feed real quick before uh, getting ready for church. And uh, man, I saw an awesome story. And I just want to share it. Man, I thought it was so cool, but someone who wants to be hope in the dark. There's actually a, a principal down in a, in a school, elementary school down in southeast Texas. Her name is Belinda George. And what Belinda does every Tuesday night is that she gets on Facebook Live at 7.30 p.m. and in her snuggly pajamas and reads a bedtime story because she knows that a lot of her kids don't have a parent at home in her elementary school. And, man, she wants them to have a bedtime story. I thought, isn't that awesome? Isn't that so cool? And I thought, what a great example of someone who is bringing hope, bringing light to the dark world around them. There's so many different ways that we can bring hope, we can bring encouragement to the world around us to allow Jesus to shine through us. I want to give a quick update, too, about um, some of the, the people that we support who are bringing hope in the world, around the world. Uh, Ryan and, or Leah and Tyler uh, are two of our missionaries in Malawi, Africa. And they've been doing an awesome work the last two years, working at a place called Esther's House, helping out with orphan care, uh, helping out with meals for people that don't have uh, good food, training pastors, things like that. And because of your financial generosity, we've been able to support them in Malawi, Africa. And actually, their, their time is coming to an end now here in uh, April. And what's really cool is, is if for the last two years, they've invested in their community, they've trained up leaders, and now they're actually going to hand off that ministry, the work they've been doing, to people from Malawi. And, and man, I think that's just amazing. And also, uh, I just want to thank you for your generosity. We're able to be a part of helping start a brand new church called Mosaic International Fellowship in Munich, Germany. And uh, the Troman Housers are in Germany. They're making uh, inroads into building a launch team, making friends, building community, and starting a church for people who are from other nations around the world who are living in Munich. It's called expats. And, and they're there maybe on business. They're there in school. And so they're going to reach out to them and, and start a church for people from around the world and who need the hope and love of Jesus. And because of your generosity, we're helping to bring the light and hope of Jesus to Munich, Germany. Well, throughout this series, as we've been looking at the early church and how they've brought the hope of Jesus to their world, we've been asking God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? How can we bring hope in the dark places around us, at our work, at our neighborhoods? And I just want to ask, where are you today? Kind of just in in your life and as, as you pause and reflect, are you, are you living out your calling? Do you know what your purpose in life is for? Maybe you're asking these questions like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Maybe you know what God's called you to do, but you lack the courage to pursue your purpose because you're afraid that it might cost too much. Maybe at this stage in your life, you're, the greatest challenge you're facing is just complacency. Life is easy. Life is good. Got a good paying job. Got a house. Got a couple cars. But you're like, man, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Well, I think today's message is for all of us. Those of us who are wondering how we can be hope in the dark. Those of us who maybe know what we're called to do but lack the courage to do it. And maybe those of us who are just feeling complacent. Like, there's got to be more. Today we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in, in Scripture in the book of Acts. We're going to meet three main characters in our story. And we're going to see how, how God uses people to make a difference. Uh, before we go any further, though, we just join me in a word of prayer. God, I thank you that you are here. God, I thank you that we're no longer 
separated from you by a veil that only the high priest can go into. God, I thank you that we don't have to climb the ranks of religion to get to you. We don't have to offer sacrifices. We don't have to earn our way into your favor. But God, that you sent Jesus to pay the price that we couldn't pay so that all are allowed access into your family, into your glory, into your grace. God, I pray right now that you would use my imperfect words, God, that you would work in your Holy Spirit in and around and through them so that everyone here in this gym would hear what they need to hear from you. God, let these be your words, not mine. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 8. The scriptures will also be here behind me. But the first person we're going to meet in our, today's story is Philip, the Spirit-filled evangelist. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write down his name, Philip, the Spirit-filled evangelist. We met him in Acts 6. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the 12 apostles were called by God to be the leaders of the new church. And they were teaching, they were preaching, they were discipling. They were doing all the things God called them to do. And on top of that, they were serving the needs of people around them. They were feeding widows, taking care of people that were most vulnerable. And it's a good thing, but they were failing at that. They weren't doing a great job at both preaching and leading and meeting these tangible physical needs. They said, this is not good. And we shouldn't stop preaching and praying to take care of these physical needs. So instead, they realized that every failure is a Holy Spirit opportunity for other people to step up into leadership. And so they commissioned the seven. And, and, and that Sunday, we commissioned our, our uh, interns into ministry and said, hey, they're going to step up. And man, aren't you so blessed by our interns, Justin and Kristen up here and, and, and Kim and, and Josh back there and Ethan and, and Ashley. Man, I'm so thankful for them. And they're stepping up into leadership in the same way that the seven stepped up. And last Sunday, we saw one of the seven, Stephen, how he was, he was leading, how he's preaching Jesus. He was preaching this message of grace and forgiveness, and the temple leaders didn't like that. And ultimately, it cost Stephen his life. But we said, man, Stephen, though, he, he didn't give in to bitterness. He didn't give in to anger. And even when they're killing him by throwing stones at his head, his posture was one of Jesus. He, he was following the way of Jesus to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Don't hold this against them. And we said, man, love is our ace. That, that's what we build on. We talk about playing solitary and how you start with an ace and then everything builds on that. And ultimately, when we start with love, people will see the king. And, and we're gonna see how Saul oversaw that persecution. And we're gonna meet him next week. I'm pretty excited about that. But one of the other seven, along with Stephen, was this man named Philip. Well, here's what we know about Philip is that he's a godly man. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's following Jesus and he raises four Godly daughters. Kind of the last picture we see of Philip is in Acts 21. It says he had four daughters who could prophesy. Man, Philip, he loves Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He raises four great daughters. And it says he does ministry with his four daughters who, are, who all love Jesus. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you, that's your dream? To raise good kids who love God. To get to do ministry with your kids. Man, that's my hope. That's my prayer. And that's, that's, that's Philip. We're going to see today, this is the start of really of Philip's ministry. And he's going to break some barriers. He's going to cross some racial divides to bring hope to dark places. Two weeks ago, Justin Rauner up here, and they were talking about how Philip, he came into 
Samaria, and, and he brought the gospel. And now we're gonna see how he's gonna also cross racial barriers and bring the hope of the gospel to an African businessman. Well, what Philip does is radical. See, the Jews considered Samaritans heretical outsiders and Ethiopia as the extreme boundary of kind of the known world. But the Holy Spirit is gonna use Philip as an instrument to reach people that no one else is reaching. And to reach people that no one else is reaching, we have to do things that no one else is doing, amen? If you're taking notes, write this down. In order for the gospel to spread, people had to be stretched. Philip is gonna be stretched. Because in order for the gospel to move beyond Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth, people are gonna have to be stretched. See, God is all about expansion. If the church is just for us, it's a club. But God's kingdom exists to spread. God's people have to be stretched then. We've talked about this, that the strength is in the stretch. That's how we grow, is when we're pushed beyond our capacity, when we have to rely on Jesus. When we're stretched beyond what's comfortable, when we're out of our comfort zones, that's when we can rely on the Holy Spirit, and that's when God does his best work. Man, you want to get stronger or faster? You have to be stretched. The strength is in the stretch. Well, last time we saw Stephen was killed for his faith and for preaching about the resurrected Jesus. And Saul arose and a great persecution happened. Let's pick up our story in Acts 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The scattering of the, uh, of the early followers of, of Jesus is followed by a scattering of the seed of the gospel. See, before this, the 12 apostles who had followed Jesus, who'd walked them for three years, they were the ones primarily doing the preaching and, and the teaching. But now, it says that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem and other believers scattered out. And God used that as an opportunity for everyday, ordinary followers of Jesus to spread the gospel, to do the preaching. Now, this doesn't mean they became full-time missionaries. Uh, instead, they just shared the hope that they had found in the risen Jesus wherever they went, as they were doing life, as they scattered among the empire. Well, last week we talked to you about how for every move of God, there's a counterattack by the devil. One of the ways that we know that we're in the will of God is that we are encountering warfare. Because we live in a spiritual battlefield. Do you know that? We have an enemy. Jesus has the ultimate victory, but our enemy does not want us to thrive, to have life to the fullest. And so when we're in the will of God, when we're pushing back the work of the enemy, he doesn't like that. And, and, and oftentimes when we experience warfare, when we experience conflict coming against us, it's because our enemy doesn't like that. But we serve a God who's greater, amen? Greater is the one who's in us than he that is in the world. And just because we're stepping into our calling doesn't mean a life of comfort. Usually the opposite. Usually when we're stepping into our calling, God's gonna stretch us beyond what we can do naturally so that we can rely on God. Well, it's plain the devil overreached himself because his attack actually has the opposite effect from what he intended. Instead of smothering the gospel, what happened was the spread of the hope of Jesus. Verse five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. 
as we've been walking through the book of Acts, we've seen that the Holy Spirit empowers us for kingdom work. The Holy Spirit empowers us for kingdom work. What is kingdom work? Kingdom work is bringing both the word of God, words of life and peace and freedom and hope, and also bringing the works of God, which means freedom, which means healing, which means feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, healing broken marriages as God uses us to bring his word, as God uses us to bring the works of his kingdom. So kingdom work, we're gonna see it. Philip right now, he's bringing the word of God and God's working through him to accomplish his works. These miracles are happening. Revival is breaking out in the Samaritans. And Justin Rand did a great job talking about that two weeks ago. So we see here, God is using Philip. And it's hard to underestimate the boldness it took for Philip to do this. So if you don't know, Samaria is this land in Israel in between Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. But these Samaritans were considered half-breeds by Jewish, half-Jewish, half-pagan. See, when God established the kingdom of Israel, after their third king, they, there was a, a civil war and they split apart. Ten tribes to the north and, and two tribes to the south. But ultimately, the ten tribes were, were carried away in exile by Assyria. And, and w- what happened was many of those Jewish people intermingled and, and married with with the people that had led them astray. And so when they came back to the northern kingdom, they established their own temple, their own system of worship. And so the Jewish people felt like, man, the Samaritans, they're just, they're not real followers of God. In in fact, in the synagogues during this time, there was a common prayer that would ask God to not give forgiveness to the Samaritans. Like, how bad is that? Like, God, please forgive us of all our sins but don't forgive that guy over there because I don't want him to have your grace. Like, that's pretty bad. That's how the Jewish people felt about the Samaritans. But our God is one who breaks ethnic and racial barriers, amen? The Holy Spirit empowers Philip to get out of his comfort zone and because Philip walks in obedience to where the Holy Spirit is leading, a great revival breaks out. That's pretty awesome. People are getting saved. People are finding freedom and hope. They're being delivered from these oppressive spirits. They're finding healing. And so, of course, the Holy Spirit is going to have Philip stay, plant a church, disciple these people, lead them, right? Actually, no. As soon as this revival breaks out, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, actually, I need you over here. See, God knows there's someone who needs to hear about him. And so an angel comes to Philip and says, I need you to go to this place in the middle of nowhere. And Philip just had like this Billy Graham revival. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. People are getting delivered. And this angel says, Philip, I need you to leave. It's like, wait, what? Leave? I just got here. Like, obviously you're moving, God. Like, why would I leave this place of ministry? Why would I go to the middle of nowhere? Because God cares, not just about the whole world, but about individuals, about people. Man, I take such comfort in that. God just doesn't look at the world and see us all with love. But individually, he looks at you and me. He's willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. My friends, if you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're one of those people that Jesus loves, that he is pursuing, and we are hoping and believing that you will believe and receive his love. Because he cares about you.
And so we're going to see God's going to send Philip to this African man traveling back from Jerusalem because God cares not just about groups of people, but every single person. So God tells Philip, leave this amazing revival and go to this African outcast who needs to know about Jesus. And Dr. Luke, our author, we talk about this, how Dr. Luke carefully investigated all the claims that had happened 20 to 30 years after this. He talked to all the eyewitness accounts. And Dr. Luke tells us that Philip obeyed the Lord. He didn't argue or fight. He didn't say, but angel, I'm one of the seven. I'm important here. I'm a leader. I need to be here. I've got big things to do. I need to be in the center of power. I need to be in a big city. People got saved. I'm very important. Instead, Philip says, you know what? Wherever you need me to go, God, that's where I will go. That's the same attitude that you and I should have. God, what is it you want? I'm willing to obey for the one. I'm willing to do what you're asking me to do, not for the big crowds, the big numbers, but just the one. It's saying, what God, there's a kid back in elementary who needs a godly leader in their life. I'll be that person. What, there's a toddler who's struggling back there and needs someone to invest in him. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. What, there's someone who lives in our neighborhood that no one really likes and very lonely. I'll reach out to that person in our neighborhood. What, God, there's that single mom you've been putting on my heart. I can bring her a couple meals because I know she's barely hanging on. I could show up, maybe do some laundry for her. Are you willing to obey for the one? Are you willing to give yourself and give your time for the good of one person? That might be what God is asking you to do. God doesn't ask us all to be the Billy Grahams, the the speakers, the the leading the big crowds. God sometimes asks us just to love the one person and tell them about Jesus, to show them love, to show them grace, to see them. And that's what God asks of Philip, and Philip is willing to obey for the one. We have to ask, well, how did this next story, there's some crazy stuff. And how did Dr. Luke know about this? I think it's cool because in Acts 21, we see that Dr. Luke actually is going to stay in the home of Philip 20 years later. And I just picture Dr. Luke is with Paul. He's kind of Paul's personal physician. And he's in Philip's house and he's like, whoa, tell me about that day the angel showed up and, and brought you to the Ethiopian eunuch. I picture Philip just kind of closing his eyes and he's telling the story to Luke and then Luke writes it down and 2,000 years later we're talking about it. Man, that's, that's just amazing to me. Well, Acts 28, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is right after the big revival, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He doesn't even say go to this city. He just says, hey, go to this road to the desert place and You'll kind of know it when you see it. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The second person we're going to meet is this Ethiopian court official. He's a eunuch. Now, i got to be kind of careful how I describe a eunuch, but it's someone who's been castrated. So part of it would be, you know, the queen needs someone to be her CFO, to be her secretary of the treasury. And so, you know, 
this Ethiopian man is reading through the job description at monster.com, and he's like, oh, I'm good with numbers, I'm good with money. Yeah, I love this job. And then you read the fine print, and it's like willing to be castrated, <laughs> willing to not be able to have children is, is kind of what it happens here. And see, what happened was, was the king didn't want other men around who might have second thoughts about his wife or the other women in the, in the palace. And so these court officials often were eunuchs. They had the ability to procreate removed from them. And so here's this Ethiopian eunuch. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's from a godless nation. He works for a pagan queen. Now, in his culture, he would have been considered highly esteemed, but among God's people, he would have been very lowly considered because in Deuteronomy 23.1, it says that any guy who's castrated can't even enter into the temple to worship with other believers. But this African man is on a 1,000-mile journey from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem and back. That's about the distance between here and Denver. And I've driven that many times with little kids, and man, it's a long drive. Imagine doing that same trip you know, in a chariot over these rough Roman cobblestones. And this African man does that because somehow he's heard about God. And so he wants a journey to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if he knew before he got there that he wouldn't be allowed in the temple. But he made that long journey to the temple. He's not allowed inside to worship with other believers because he's a eunuch. And somehow, maybe in Jerusalem, he gets a copy of one of the scrolls of Isaiah. Now, in this time, it would have been so hard to get a copy of one of the scrolls. Remember, this is 1,500 years before the printing press. Books and scrolls were very expensive, very hard to get. They'd be hand-copied, but he's got one. And so he's on his way back home, and he's reading out of Isaiah. And, 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 and back then, everyone would read out loud. And so he's reading out loud in his chariot, and Philip hears him reading out loud. And verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, one of the things I love about Philip is those of you guys who are runners and stuff, like, Philip should be your guy. Because, like, he's running alongside a chariot and starts a conversation. Like, that's pretty impressive, right? Like, he must have been pretty fast. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? So just picture Philip. He's running alongside this chariot. This African man is reading Isaiah out loud, and he's like, hey, do you understand everything you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come on up and sit with him. But Philip's like, oh, good. So Philip jumps in the chariot, and they continue on. John Calvin, the great reformer, he says, man, how great is God to this man? He gives him two amazing gifts. First, he gives him the gift of the scriptures. And second, gives teacher, a teacher to open up and explain the scriptures. And it's a gift that God gives us today, that we have the scriptures, we have our Bibles, we have them on our phones available at any time. And then God gives us teachers to open up, to explain. Dr. Luke repeatedly insists that the scriptures need explanation. It's good to read your Bible on your own, and private interpretation is good, but it's not always sufficient. We need to study in community. That's why it's so important to be a part of a small group, to open up the scriptures together, because we learn from each other. We see different insights. We all need Bible teachers who can explain and illuminate the scriptures for us. We all need that. There are two to three Bible teachers I listen to every week just to hear their take on the scriptures. What are they learning as I continue to grow and learn? We need to understand and have a humility that we don't have all the answers. And so as we pray 
As we study the scriptures on our own, we ask others, hey, what's your insight into this? And as a community, we grow together. So this African man just happens to be reading Isaiah 53, one of the greatest prophecies about the Messiah, the suffering servant, verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told them about the good news about Jesus. Philip's going to point to this passage in Isaiah and explain how 900 years before Jesus came, this is going to point to Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus fulfills this as the lamb who laid down his life, the sacrifice once and for all. And it clicks, and, it, and, and this man puts his trust in Jesus. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And I wonder if Philip had a, a moment of pause. He knows the scriptures. He knows this man's not allowed in the temple. He's kind of an outcast. But you know what? Our God is one who breaks down all barriers, amen? That everyone is welcome at the table, amen? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now there's two ways to read this. One, if you're a superhero fan like me, then Philip like, was like Nightcrawler, and he transported out of the water into another place. Poof, like it's a miracle. Or you could read it that after he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit moved him on, and this is the last time they saw each other. So it's really okay, either one. It's a cool miracle where he transports one location to the other, or the Holy Spirit continued to lead him on to the other one. So whatever you want to think. Um, I like to think that he is a super fast runner and also can teleport. I think that's Philip. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns he came to until he came to Caesarea, where he settled down and raised his family. I just love this, that Philip's continued to be led by the Holy Spirit. He says he found himself in this other town. He's like, all right, God, he's just so in tune with the Holy Spirit. Wherever you want to lead me, I'm going to go there. I'm going to preach the good news. Well, the third person in our story is the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip, and the Holy Spirit is overseeing this whole thing. We've been talking a lot about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And a lot of times we say, you know, it's, it's the Acts of the Apostles, but really, the book is about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force, it's a person. That our God is three in one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We need to understand the Holy Spirit as a person and not just seek after his manifestations. We shouldn't be asking, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? Instead, the question we want to be asking is, God, how can I give more of myself to you? How can I give more of myself to the Holy Spirit so I can be like Philip, but that when the Holy Spirit leads, as he guides, we can go, we can obey. We need to understand the Holy Spirit is a person. And Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. We see here that the Holy Spirit is empowering Philip and to bring these words, and now that prophecy that Jesus spoke over them is starting to come true. 
They're starting to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's moving out of Jerusalem into Samaria. And now, through this Ethiopian, it's going to be spread to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit uses us to make a difference. So what does this mean for us? Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that God uses people to save people. That God uses people to save people. Now, all right, if you want to be really literal, we don't save people, all right? God saves people, right? Like, Philip isn't going to save this man. He's not going to pay the price for his sins and, and, and let him have access to the throne room of God and into the family of God. Yes, yes, of course. But God uses people to help save people. God uses people to partner with to reach and save them. Here's what I think is really interesting. Is that God sent an angel to Philip and said, go to this place. And the Holy Spirit led Philip to talk to this man. Now, God could have sent an angel to the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Like, God could have been like, hey, uh, Michael, Gabriel, one of you guys, come over here. There's this Ethiopian man, and his heart has been warming up, and he's been on this journey of, of discovering who God is, and he hasn't yet crossed that line of faith. But he needs to know about you. He needs to know about, know about me. So Gabe, go down there and hop in his chariot and do a little Bible study and teach him about Jesus. Right? God could have done that. But very, very rarely does God send an angel to do something that his people can do. Instead, he sent the angel to Philip. Because God uses people to save people. And so then Philip obeys. And God uses Philip to break barriers to cross racial divides so that this Ethiopian man can hear about the love and grace of Jesus. Number two, I want us all to ask, who has God put in front of you? Who has God put in front of you? And I think one of the things we can learn from Philip is that we don't have to have a deep relationship with people to introduce them to Jesus. Now that helps. We should develop friendships. We should be investing in people, in loving them, and, and as we get to know them, share the reason for our hope. But if you look at this story, like Philip baptizes this African man, and then boom, he's gone. It's like 15 minutes, you know, it's like, you know, just talk, 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 dunk him, and he's gone. Like, that's the whole thing. And I need to see that sometimes you might encounter somebody who needs to know Jesus, and it's like, well, I don't really know him. How long do I need to have a relationship before I can share Jesus with him? It's like, no, just walk up to them and be like, hey, I love you. You know, like, I don't have a lot of time. Hell is really hot. Forever's a long time. You need to know Jesus. My bus is coming soon. Like, hey, do you want to know about this? Okay? Sometimes we just got to take that chance and share the love of Jesus with people around us. Philip, he didn't even know this man. He's able to share the reason for his hope. Here's my question. Who has God put in front of you? This week, who has he been put in front of you? And now this week, who is he going to put in front of you? Maybe as you ride the bus, there's someone you see. And they need to know about the love of Jesus. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Who has God put in front of you? Who has God put in front of you? You need to put your phone down so you can initiate a conversation. We don't do this alone. And see, if, if it feels really scary to strike up a conversation with a stranger. The good news is we don't have to do this on our own strength. We partner with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with his power and his presence. 
that we do it together to bring hope to the dark places. See, Jesus' mission to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth requires that you and I be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't be who God made us to be, and we can't do what Jesus called us to do until we're filled with the power and the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're a new Christian and you want to find out your spiritual gifts, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to show you what your ministry is. Maybe you're newly married. You're going to get married. You're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you, to show you how to be a loving and faithful spouse. Maybe you're pregnant. Maybe you want to have foster kids or adopt a kid someday. You're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you, to lead you, to be the parent that he wants you to be. If you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you're sick, if you're hurting, you're asking the Holy Spirit, come fill me so I can persevere through the hard times, through the sufferings, to learn more about Jesus, to be like Jesus, so that I can share the hope of Jesus with those around me. May we be a community of Jesus followers who are filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit and continually being filled by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because we can't do this on our own strength. Like Stephen, like Philip, like Peter, we partner with God to bring hope, to bring healing. But before we can be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have to have a relationship with Jesus. Isaiah 53 is this prophecy that Isaiah made about the one who would lay down his life like a lamb. And that's Jesus. We're going to move into a time of communion here soon. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. See, when God called the nation of Israel out of Egypt, they were slaves for 400 years. And he, he brings them out of darkness. He brings them out of bondage, out of suffering, out of slavery. But these people don't know how to live. They don't have rules or a knowledge of God. And so God shows up to Moses and gives them the Ten Commandments, which turn into the 600 commandments. And the basis is that we are separated by God and someone has to pay the price for our sins, for our mistakes. And so they had this system of sacrifice where people would bring a lamb. And that would temporarily cover the problem. But there was a promise that one who would come, who would be the Lamb of God, who would take away all the sins of the world, once and for all. On the night before, the people of God, the Israelites, were led out of slavery and bondage through the Red Sea. God initiated something called Passover. And what each family did is they took a lamb, and they killed it, and they took that blood and they painted it on the doorposts of their home. And when the angel of death came, it would pass over all those homes that had been covered by the blood of the lamb. Two thousand years later, Jesus comes. His cousin John proclaims, "This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." And Jesus laid down the privileges and rights of heaven to die on the cross for our sins. And when Jesus died, blood was painted on the doorposts of the universe that all can believe and receive 
him. And so the invitation is open. You are invited to be covered by the blood of the Lamb, to pay the price for your sins, all your mistakes, the ways that you and I don't measure up. And just like that Ethiopian man reading about this Lamb who came and laid down his life, and that his response was to believe, to put his trust in Jesus, and to respond with baptism. You and I have the opportunity to respond. If you put your hope, your trust, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And then you start your journey of following Jesus, of living with him, of allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your life, to fill you, to guide you, to lead you. And you need to live life with purpose, not living it for yourself, then being an instrument of God. History says that that Ethiopian man went back and shared about this Jesus. And there are Ethiopian Christians who can trace their heritage all the way back to that man 2,000 years ago. You are invited to step into God's story. Say, God, I believe in you. I receive your forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross. And there are two primary ways that we remember what Jesus did on the cross. Through communion, which what Jesus gave his disciples the night before he went to the cross at Passover. And he broke the bread. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Break this bread to remember that my body is broken for you. And he gave him the cup as a reminder that his blood was shed for us. So just in a minute, I'm going to invite you to get up out of your chairs. Our communion table's over there. You can take that broken bread, dip it in the cup. It's a way to remind yourself that, man, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was painted on the doorpost of the universe. And now all are welcome. Jews, Gentiles, Africans, Middle Easterners, everyone. And then this man responded through baptism. If you have not been baptized, I want you to think about that and pray about it even right now. Next week, we have this awesome kids takeover service where the kids are going to be in here and Beth's going to be speaking. It's going to be fun. And we're going to end our service with baptism. And just like this Ethiopian man was baptized, to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that when he went under the water and came back up, it's symbolizing that we find new life through Christ, that we're buried to our old life and our sins and we come back up. It doesn't save us, but it's a symbol of identifying with Jesus and remembering what he did for us. And every time we do baptisms, man, we celebrate, we go crazy just thanking God for life change. That we don't do this on our own strength, but through God's strength. I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna invite you to receive communion. God, I thank you that you are here with us. God, I thank you that you gave your only son, Jesus, to die for us as, as a lamb. But then that lamb rose again, conquering the powers of sin and death and the grave and sickness. And now through Jesus, we find hope and freedom and love and grace. So God, I pray right now as we 
receive communion may be a tangible reminder that we don't have to strive, we don't have to try really hard. We can simply receive, receive, receive your love, your grace. Thank you, Jesus. As we receive communion, we're gonna sing the song we've been singing every week during this series, kind of our, our theme song, Living Hope. And I love the third verse. It reminds us that Jesus isn't just the lamb, he's also the lion who fights for us. And that third verse says, then came the morning that seeped the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory, amen? And we have that same victory through Jesus Christ. As you receive communion, as you go to the table, that all are welcome. If you're willing to remember Jesus and what he did, lay down your fears, your worries, your anxieties, your bitterness, your anger, your striving, your fears, to know that this lion, this lamb is a lion who fights for us. And we have victory through him, amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Thank you, God, again. I pray that you would just be with us as we receive communion. God, let our hearts be moved by what you need to speak to us. Let us have open minds, open hearts. As we take the bread, as we dip it in the cup, let us just be overcome with thankfulness by what Jesus did for us. Thank you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and receive communion.